been about, I always have to add it up and I always get it wrong, but it's been about 37 years now since I preached my first Easter sermon. I can remember how excited I was at those early Easter mornings because the church was going to be full for the one time I would preach there. The troops of 30 would become 120, and, you know, you're just so excited about that. I remember the sunrise services in those rural communities where, especially when the African-American church would join us because he, he, Jesus really felt alive then. You know, they brought something extra to the table, just as this church brings every Sunday in this presence when they worship. And I'll admit and confess right now that after forever, I wanted to dismiss church and just sit down not wasn't going to let you go home early, but just sit down and just stay there. Just stay there. And hear again the words of forever, over and over and over again. How powerful is the story of Easter, and how ridiculous is it for people like myself to try and make those words more powerful with something we might say? We can't do it. I've never been able to do it. It never feels like enough. It never feels adequate. It never feels like it should ha- has the power that it should. And yet every Easter, I keep coming forward and standing up here somewhere and proclaiming the scriptures. It's appropriate on this day that nothing be good enough. Truthfully, nothing is ever good enough on this earth. And the gospel we read this morning is direct proof of that. I have picked this week for actually a couple of weeks now on this passage of scripture that is the worst telling of Easter you've ever read. It is by far inferior to Matthew, Mark, and John, I mean, Matthew, Luke, and John's version of the resurrection. In fact, The ending of Mark was so bad that after that, for many years, they kept trying to add more scripture to it. And if you go and read in your Bible, you'll see that verses 9 on are obviously just something different. And the church really believes the most ancient and accurate manuscripts they have stop at verse 8. But it was just terrible to stop there. They They were so afraid they didn't tell anybody. That's not Easter. So we added some verses. Some soul did. You know, wrote a little more. Borrowed some from somewhere else to the gospel tradition and wrote it in there. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to stop right there at verse 8. They were so afraid after seeing the angel, after seeing the empty tomb, that they didn't have anything to say. They were speechless and so afraid they told no one. Let that sink in a little bit. They told no one. No wonder they added to it, right? I mean, no wonder people got nervous about that being the Easter story. It just doesn't seem to fit the occasion. Now, one Easter soon, maybe next Easter, I'm going to be limited to three minutes on Easter morning. And we are going to sing for an hour and pray. We're going to sing the story because there's no way of saying it as good as you've just sung it. I want to sing forever again at the closing. I'm tempted, but I know there's a good song at the closing too. I just feel so strongly that the cross is most glorified when we praise God. Whenever we lift our voices in astonishment at what God has done. And you know what? You're a pretty hard group to astonish anymore. 
you Americans, you 21st century folks. You know, TV is ridiculous, and they can't astonish us anymore. You know, we've seen it all already. What will they come up with next? Don't worry, they'll try and do something. It's like you go to a Super Bowl game, and it's not really that super. You know, it's another football game when it's all said and done. Well, it's kind of like today, except it's impossible to encapsulate with words what went on inside that tomb. It's also, and should be impossible, for us to ever capture what you felt on Good Friday if you've been taking your Lenten journey and how you pondered on it yesterday and how you feel this morning when you come to hear the good end of the story you yearn to hear. You come to hear he is risen because Friday was painful. It was tough. It was rough. When we look at this passage of Scripture and these three witnesses who come firsthand, let's be clear. They came with their doubts. They did. If they didn't have doubts, why would they even come? Decorate the body. He had already told them he was going to be raised. I guess they didn't believe him. So they got costly spices to anoint that smelly body. It was going to be rough in that tomb. Tough, trust me. They knew that. But it was their duty to do it. They went, and along the way, they suddenly remembered, oh, yeah, there's a big... Uh, who's going to roll away the rock? If we don't get the rock rolled away, we can't go in. Who's going to do that? We forgot to bring somebody with us that can roll the rock away. Does that sound like people who believed? No. It sounds like some of the most faithful. In fact, these three witnessed his death. These three witnessed his burial. These three were there now to anoint the body. They were faithless at that moment, but they were still faithful. Now, isn't that weird? People don't get us crazy Christians. We say things that contradict. Thank God. Because if we thought we could make this thing completely logical, what a mess we'd make of it, right? thought maybe you decided I really didn't have anything to say, so you just uh, tuned me out. Then the young man is sitting there, right? You, you heard the story. Dressed in white. Let's give him that heavenly appearance. Who knows what he is? Probably an angel, though. That's what we assume. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> Go and tell the disciples and Peter. I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Let's be clear. When God intersects his activity in the history of humankind on this earth, such supernatural events astonish and frighten us. Such supernatural power befuddle us. We can't really explain it because there are not human categories that are capable of explaining what really went on. Oh, we give it words, trust me. We'll do our best. But it will never be enough. You cannot become a Christian simply by your intellectual assent in your head that Jesus was a good man. And some people believe he was raised from the dead. I know we all know that such things can't happen. But he was still the son of God. That's what we all know. You know I mean, we're wise people. We're smart. We're thousands of years in the making. We're the best of the best. 
We know what can happen and what can't happen. And people don't get up when they're really dead. And if they do, they don't take their body with them. We can go dig up some people and prove it to you. We're so wise. And we so lack astonishment. But they didn't in those days. Because then and now, the resurrection of Christ is apprehended not by enough physical evidence, although let's be clear, there are three witnesses. Yes, they were women, and they didn't have a high standing as witnesses in those days, but they came back with the holy truth and a holy fact that the tomb was the place where they laid Jesus, and the tomb is now where Jesus was gone. So there is physical evidence enough to have a trial. Something's gone wrong here. But there's not enough physical evidence to make it absolutely certain and clear without any kind of doubt that God raised Jesus from the dead, literally, and he's alive now. Just this one shiny fellow telling us so. You don't believe because of enough facts. You decide to trust the scriptures and your own sense of the real presence of God in your life, and that's when you believe. A lot of people come to church and they never get there. They just stop with mental assent, religious patronage. They stop short of a real supernatural experience that tells me Jesus is alive and I know it in here. I don't even have to have a tomb anymore. I don't even have to have a story anymore. The story is alive and I know the story. And so do you. But for people who have not yet believed, you just can't get it. It doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense to them, even though Jesus had told them it was going to happen. So when we think about that, we look at this story and we go, okay, there's Peter. Oops, oops, oops. Three oopses equal, ah. There's Judas, one big, ah. And then after Peter and Judas, there are, of course, the Romans so politically correct that if you get outside their boundaries, they will attack you in violence. No proof enough for them. And then, of course, there's the religious leaders. Well, this is just not the way it's done. This Jesus, he's a blasphemer. He should be put to death. This is not tradition. Tradition has been killing churches before we had any. Tradition is so powerful, it sticks us in the mud and allows us to go nowhere. Do I like tradition? Of course I like tradition. I'm a Methodist. How could I not like tradition? I love committees. Okay, that's a lie. <laughs> I don't love committees. There'll be a day when there'll be no more committees in my life. I'll probably be dead then, but by anyway. <laughs> Tradition is important, but it's not all there is to say. So what do we do with this minor story, this little gospel who has the audacity to end at the point of seemingly failure by these people who witnessed the resurrection? What are we going to do with a story like that? It's part of the gospel tradition. First of all, we can't just throw it away. We can't just say we like the other endings better, although I'm tempted to preach John's version in chapter 20 every year. But this year, I decided to be brave and preach Mark's little short. You know, Mark was short about everything. He didn't tell anything about the birth of Jesus. He just kind of got started. The messenger came, and now he's just in it, and the messenger says he's gone. Just like he said, boop, doop, boop, over. He's like a game on the computer screen. You know, you get three strikes, and the screen goes blank. That's kind of the way the whole gospel reads. Mark is always in a hurry to tell the story. 
So what are we going to take away this morning? I'm going to suggest three things. I'm going to suggest, first of all, faithfulness is difficult, and we need to remember that. Faithfulness is difficult. You say, what do you mean? I say, look at Peter, look at Judas, look at the women, look at everybody in the story. They're all faithless to some extent. They have faith to some extent, but they're also faithless to some extent. Faithfulness, purely like Jesus displayed upon the cross, is very difficult because you have to put yourself completely away and take up only what God gives you. And that's very hard because we like ourselves. We like our thoughts. We like our ways. It's not easy to be truly Christian in America. If you think it is, then you're not trying very hard to be very Christian. It is hard to be faithful. Every now and then I look at some of you and you're so sweet. And I know there's something I really ought to tell you. And then I go, what if I tell them that they're going to get so mad they'll never fill their pew again? (laughs) You think I'm kidding? Uh Uh-uh, not kidding. Some of you, and you are the faithful. And if you don't look at me and think the same thing some days, you just don't know me very well. There are moments that we all have when faithfulness and faithlessness are in the same room. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, one man said in the scriptures. It is the story of us all. And we should take that away from this cross this morning when we leave. Faith is difficult. But God is always faithful. Secondly, forgiveness is real. Can you believe that? That's really what he says about. Even old Peter gets called, come on, meet me in Galilee, you stumbling, bumbling nut. Show up and shut up because I've already forgiven you. We got work to do. Meet me in Galilee. Come with the other disciples. Even the women will find their voice in. They will. But in this story, not so much. But because forgiveness is real, they were silent. You know, the trouble with some people today is, you think I'll just go ahead and say it? You'd say it, wouldn't you? Yeah, Rachel would say it. Even though she's wondering what it is I'm going to say. We think we deserve forgiveness a lot of times. We humans, we're kind of convinced we're, we're pretty good folks. I mean, look at us compared to the people who never go to church. Look at us to, compared to the people who never support a charity. Look at us. I, I'm not killing anybody lately, at least not completely. I may have wounded them, but I didn't kill them. You know, we can think of all kinds of reasons why we're a little better and God should forgive us. We go to church. We listen to sermons, some You know, we even go to Sunday school. We even teach the youth. Sometimes we volunteer in the nursery. Oh, my God, I should be getting an award. You know? I mean, we're pretty good people. We kind of forget. We we got some forgiveness coming. We've been supporting the church all these many years. Forgiveness should be so real on Easter morning that it's unbelievable for anybody. I cannot imagine me putting either one of my two daughters on a cross for any of you, as lovely as you are. I would not give my daughter for you. 
and it was a particularly strong moment, if I succumbed and did it, I would never give you one of my grandchildren. They're too perfect. Even if when they're not. I just... Forgiveness needs to come to us this morning in the totality of what it is. Something that we can never be worthy of. Something that we can never deserve. Something that we can never earn. Something that we can never really have until we're willing to give it away. Forgiveness needs to be real on Easter morning. Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And all he said is true. Because he's the only one who walked away from his tomb. So we have two things now. We have faithlessness in us all. We have forgiveness is real. And lastly, fear and astonishment is a regular part of being faithfulness, of your faithfulness. If it's not, you're missing the point. Anytime that God is very present with you and you've got a lot to say, God's not really very close to you. Because when you get close enough to God, when his presence is so real to you, trust me, you won't have a lot to say. You know, we make jokes all the time about when we get to heaven, we got all these questions we're going to ask God. Well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Truth is, when we get to heaven, we're going to fall face down on the cloud and we're not going to look up because we're going to be looking at the almighty God who's forgiven us of everything and it's all going to be so clear. It's going to be so clear then and so real and so powerful that we will be shaking in whatever kind of heavenly body God gives us and we're not going to be worried about what that looks like. Whatever God does at that point will be just fine. Wherever heaven is will be just fine. And whoever is there, because Jesus accepted them there, will be just fine. Even if it's that awful neighbor next door. (laughs) You will be so astonished that you are there. You won't notice anything else. Because you see, that's what all this is about. How many flowers are on this cross, Gwen? A thousand flowers. Did you really count them? Oh, okay. I thought she's been a smart aleck, but you know. That's a lot of flowers right there. I wish we could get a thousand more on that cross somehow. But if we did, it would be a big old fat cross. But even then, we'd need another thousand, and we'd need another thousand because God gives life to every soul in every generation as the Son tells him to. And the faithfulness and the faithlessness is mingled in them. The forgiveness is not perfect, but they've been able to find it at times in their lives, and they've been struggling with it. Because that's what life is like. And the fear is very real. Now, I know fear is not a word we like to associate with God. But when we talk about fear and astonishment, we're talking about the kind of 
fear that was born out of deep respect and love. We're not talking about the fear that comes from actually terrified we're going to be hurt, but rather a fear that comes out of respect. It's like the fear I had for my daddy. Daddy was a big, tall guy. And daddy had ways about him that made me think he was even bigger. You remember how when you were little and you stood next to daddy, how big daddy was? And then you got bigger, and sooner or later you thought you might be getting as big as daddy, and then he proved you were not. (laughs) And, you know, if you were fortunate, you had the kind of father that led you to those conclusions, and you, you reached that point, but you didn't go over. You always kept a certain respect out of the love you had for your parents, your father and your mother. That did not allow you to cross over that line. And you were amazed and lacked words to say what it meant to be their child. That's Easter morning in relation to our Lord. We revere him because we're not worthy. He was worthy. And yet he suffered for us. So the sermon's time to be over now. I'm through. It wasn't much of a sermon, I know, but it wasn't going to be much of a sermon anyway. And if you go to the largest church around, I could call some names, but I'll just leave it to your imagination. The preaching may be really good. It may seem so powerful. And the music may be even more astounding than this, but I doubt it. But still, when you leave there and the joy of Easter fills your soul because you know you've been loved and forgiven by God... And when the presence of God is real because Easter is real, and when you think about the gift that God has given you that gives you joy continually and peace daily, then you'll know that Easter is real. And you know, you just know that. Preaching can't do it for you. If you came here looking for preaching to do that for you, I'm sorry. I'm not capable. If you came and expected to be wowed by the music where you should be, and maybe that was enough for you, for this morning at least, but trust me in this, that there's only one thing that really, really can get you where you want to go. If you're not there yet, and you're here this morning for your annual Easter pilgrimage, there is more to Easter than today. We offer you a living Christ whose presence can always be with you, when you, even when you're making mistakes, even when you lack forgiveness, even when you're not the best example of Jesus, that Jesus will still be there for you if you will just believe in him and trust in him. And so I offer him to you, not because he's mine to give, but because he has said he will come to you if you will just cry out for him to accept him. If you need to accept him, today's a great day to do it. We invite you to do so as we stand and sing together after I pray for you. Father, there's one here, just one. Arthur, many here, Lord, who don't know about this Easter experience. Let them somehow find it in their hearts and even in their heads to allow you the space to come into their life. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.